Hi, everybody. We're Hi, everybody. We're trying to figure out how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> we missed three weeks. Man. Two weeks, were I knew, were planned because yes. it was like a little vacation. But not last week. That was not planned. No, that was, was not no fun planned. either. We had, was... we had no fun no getting fun. through COVID. So let me tell you, that was, that was no good at all. But we're back now, we're back. and we're through with COVID. And yep, we both we both had, you know, symptoms. I wouldn't say it was a easy breezy, but we're both very blessed <clears throat> that neither one of us got ill ill. You know what? Oh I mean. sure, yeah, well, we're it wasn't very, severe. very blessed. But it wasn't mild. But there was no way that I wouldn't have known. <laughs> Some people have said like I didn't even know I had it. That wouldn't have been us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a reason I I was a few days ahead of Patty in it, so I. There was a reason I took I took the test week four last. It was I was clear there was something not right. Yes, yes. Something was not right. But we're back now, baby. And considered, considering <coughs> we, we spend a lot of time together, but we had just been on vacation for eight days together. Right. We can't figure out how Scott got it. I, I really because <laughs> we're me. we're kind of recluses actually. And, uh, Whether we're at home or on vacation, we're 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 not out there in crowds of people funny. all the time. We're not. We're really no, really not, not us. But anyway, we're here with you guys, this crowd of people online today, back into Isaiah. Patty and I have tried to relearn all the mechanics of how to make this work. (laughs) (laughs) The absence was so long. Um, For those of you who are curious, because I had to look it up, we're starting in Isaiah 58 today. So when I started prepping for class, I said, well, I don't even know where we stopped. They call it COVID brain, though. That's how that my bag of pills ended up on a basket in the top shelf of the closet. I know. Very scary. Exactly <laughs> how that happened. I have we have no idea. It was in a safe spot, but <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So anyway, we're glad y'all are with us today as we make our way through uh continue to make our way through Isaiah. And um so let's see. <clears throat> well I have a slide coming up in a minute. Uh, maybe I'll put them up for a second right now while Patty's still here with me. Okay, so this is the upcoming schedule. Believe it or not, we will not meet on Mondays the next two weeks because next Monday's Labor Day and on September 12th, Patty and I will be flying back from Staten Island from Patty's reunion. I hope I will have lots of really, really good stories. But once we're back from that, we have a string of one, two, three, four, five Mondays when we will meet. I suspect we will finish Isaiah in that time, and that it, then I will then we'll be gone to Israel. So I haven't really looked exactly at a calendar, but I think it might be a three Monday hiatus. Right. Um. To for the Israel trip, hard to say. I have to look at the calendar. We leave and on the twenty third ourselves. We leave. Yeah, we on leave on a Sunday. Sunday. So it's gonna pick up. Probably probably three Mondays, I think. Maybe just two. Maybe we'll just see. Two. Maybe I just think two. It might just be if two. I could squeeze it into two, and even if I'm a little slap happy tired when I get back, I will still try to do, only miss two weeks because I feel like, man, this is crazy. I, I enjoy these classes, and here we are having to miss so many. So look at that. I'll get back to that again in a minute. <sighs> Anything we hope else? Patty? You all are doing great. <laughs> yeah. Really, we we miss y'all. We really do. Yeah. Um, it was good to be up at church yesterday. It was. Patty didn't come for the whole thing because she was still wrapping up her COVID protocols. Yes. But I was there for the whole thing because I had finished my whole COVID protocol, yes. according to the CDC and one Dr. David Bonnet yes. here in his, town. Yes, his 
more than 10 days and I, I still had a, a day or two where I was yeah. had to wear the mask so I, I came just, up and just came to class trying yesterday. to be good citizens right right yeah feel feel well but yeah. just just didn't want to take any chances so anyway we're really glad you're here and um, I bet you're excited to actually start teaching the Bible again sure yeah. so I'm gonna start us Go right with ahead. a word of prayer would you join me Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be back together. It's been three weeks of absence, and I miss it. Patty misses it. I think we all miss it. This opportunity to, do, even though it's online, to come together and just take an hour and 15 minutes out of our day, out of our week, to study your word and to, to read and contemplate and talk about um, passages that we just, just probably never would. Um, and uh, with the help of friends and the, the gift of your Holy Spirit, um, we pray that we will be able to read these with um, fresh eyes and hearing, hearing ears. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. I remember okay, what I do now. I go over to the other side. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. A minute ago when I was get, starting to hit buttons here, I almost pushed the button which would have concluded the whole thing. So, there we go. So, I don't know. I live by routines and you give me a couple weeks away from the routines and they become like mud. Hey, we got a good group of people here today. 34 screens. They're a wonderful group yeah, of people. Are you kidding wonderful, me? Wonderful. We got great people. And Bob, just if you're, you know, our, our class attendance yesterday at 11 o'clock what was the total combined? Because we had almost 200 in person, another 60. So we had to be around, what was it, 250, 255, something it like was, that? Uh, we know it was 260-something. Let me look here really Wow, really okay. Quick. Yeah, it was crazy. And so we had a really, really good turnout yesterday on Sunday morning. So it's always great when people are coming back together and, and you get to see everybody. And So anyway, it's great. Great and good stuff. Glad we're doing all this online also. So turn to Isaiah 58, chapter, verse 1. So I'm going to lay a groundwork here. So we, it's pretty straightforward, actually. We, we don't need a lot of help, I think, to, 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 to get the point. But I'm going to tell you what it is anyway. <laughs> so <clears throat> the point, the question is really, what is true worship? What is true worship? Um, and just imagine it's our day and you have a person who is, <clears throat> they go to church every Sunday, they carry a really big Bible, they've got, they know lots of praise music, um, they've got a WWJD bracelet on, and, but they, but they just... They just feel like God is far away from them, like God is not is not near them, and so they double down. And now they got they got little uh, a little cross filled necklace for their dog, and they've got now bumper stickers that says Jesus loves you, and more and more stuff on the surface that pile that is piled on the surface. And, and that's kind of what this, this, this section is about because God, you know, has a word for, for those people. And if you're like me, I mean, I think most of us at one time or another 
can kind of fall into that group where it's easy to focus on the surface and not really remember what <clears throat> what worship is about, what we are there for, and not just in the context of the one-hour service. Um, it's funny that we use the word service, isn't it? It's a worship service. It's not a worship gathering. It's not a worship assembly, at least among traditional um, denominations. It is a worship service. And it goes back to the very first centuries when the Christians had to use a word for worship. And there was a word, a word for worship that was used all over the empire with regard to the worshiping of Caesar and Apollo and all that kind of stuff. But they didn't want to use that word because of all, its, all of its pagan connotations. So what the Christians did was they increasingly used the word latreu in Greek, which means service. And I think if we keep service and serving and worship all together in a little bundle, we will be able to hear this, this, this section from chapter 58 pretty well. All right, so. <clears throat> God speaks to the prophet, shouted aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people, so this is, this is God speaking really to the prophet, and <clears throat> through the prophet to the people. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. So, so the, the prophets got to do what prophets do. Prophets begin by telling people how far away from God they have drifted. And then the prophets call the people back to God. But that has to begin with a, the honest acknowledgement of how far people have drifted from God. Um, it's... It's why repentance plays such an important part in the Christian life. When you come to Christ, you do need to repent of your sins. It doesn't work just to say, well, God just loves me as, my, as I am. Well, he loves you, but he doesn't want you to necessarily stay as you are. If you are an unrepentant sinner, God, God calls us to, 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 to a new life to a better life. Um, and it's a little bit like when I, I was teaching in my class yesterday about the Reformation and about how the Protestants have different answers to the same questions as the Catholics. The Catholics have one set of answers, the Protestants have another set of answers, though the differences in those answers drives what is how you sort of define the difference between Catholics and Protestants. And the four questions are these. Um, how is a person saved? What is the source of religious authority? What is the church? And what is the essence of Christian living? So that when I was working on this chapter, I realized that this chapter is kind of trying to get at that last question. What is the essence of Christian living? Verse 2, back in Isaiah 58. Day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. Right? 
that surface level. They seem to look out, seem to be searching for God, but are they really? They seem to be searching for God so long as it doesn't, ma doesn't mess with the way they want to live. They ask me for just decisions and, and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't even noticed? Yet, God says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Which means what? <clears throat> they exploit their workers who are doing all the work so that these people can piously fast. No, probably not the right approach. God says, your fasting ends in quarreling, it ends in strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. It, <clears throat> it's on the practice of fasting, but it is about spiritual disciplines gone awry. If in the spiritual disciplines of which fasting is one, you are solely focused on the outward practice of that discipline and not the inner not the inner practice of that discipline, you're not going to get anywhere. Because it's easy to do stuff. It's easy to appear certain ways to people. You, God says to them, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard. He isn't saying they're not fasting because God has acknowledged in the earlier verses they're fasting. They've just lost all sense of what it's supposed to be about. And then God says in verse 5, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? And you might think, well, that's a pretty good thing. They're going to humble themselves before God. Themselves. Themselves. Selves. Self. 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 That's my introduction. <laughs> Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable for Yahweh? And what is this beginning to taste like, to smell like? It's beginning to taste like, you know, the Pharisee and the tax collector in the parable Jesus told about the Pharisee went in the temple and said, I do everything. I do everything you ask of me, God. Everything. I I pay my tithes and I dress and I fast and I wear the sackcloth and ashes. I do everything. And oh, I'm so glad I'm not that guy over there. <laughs> and, and, and that guy over there, the tax collector, says to God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. The Pharisees lost touch with the fact that the Pharisees is a sinner. He just thinks this outward ritual practice of things is sufficient. And, and, and it's not. That's why we have to be always so careful in worship that we do not become solely focused on the trappings of worship. Liturgies and all that, that stuff is all important. But empty liturgy 
where words are spoken without listening, where words are spoken without understanding, that is not. Because it becomes the, this, this outward, this outward ritual. And so God finally says, is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to Yahweh? Is not this what I'm about to tell you, God says. Is, not, is what I'm about to tell you not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. This is the burdens in life that people carry that could be made easier by others, right? To set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. There are a lot of people are, sometimes people are oppressed by things that none of us really have any control over, okay? Illness, for example. But, wow, most of what weighs people down and crushes them are things that we, as in the larger human team, have something to do. And that is clear in God's law. Well, if you go back and you read the law of Moses, it's very clear that God's people are supposed to be the ones who are looking after the oppressed. The two big examples of the oppressed in the law of Moses that's repeated over and over are widows and orphans. And the reason widows and orphans are used is because they were the most marginalized groups in the ancient world. Not just among the Hebrews, but just generally speaking. In a patriarchal world, in a world in which children were not valued um, by society, widows and orphans were very marginalized, always in danger of falling off the edge. And the, the, the third group that also gets special attention in the Law of Moses are strangers, aliens, outsiders. And, and the Law of Moses is constantly reminding God's people that you are to look after the strangers in your midst, the aliens in your midst, because you were once those strangers. You were once those aliens. You once came from another land. So, God is reminding them of what God really wants for them. If you, you um, know your Bible, maybe just a little, you know this famous verse from Micah, chapter 6, where God says, I don't want your rivers of oil. I don't want you to sacrifice 10,000 rams to me. I don't want your firstborn anything. What I want is this. I want you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. In a very ritualistic religion filled with lots of uh, ritual laws and priests and sacrifices, those are shattering words because you have to hear them as the inner substance of what God wants, what this is really all about. It's not all about the priests and the sacrifices. It's not. I find sometimes Christians, I've known some, who get very, very caught up in understanding or trying to understand every little in and out of the sacrificial system and the priestly system in the Old Testament. I want to say to them, no, I mean, sure, get the basics. But you got to get through that stuff to get down to the heart of the matter. And that heart of the matter is to do justice, love, humbly with... Um, 
love mercy and walk humbly with God. Is it, look at verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So who does this sound like? Sounds like Jesus. The last parable that Jesus has, the last parable that he tells in the Gospel of Matthew is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And it's a pretty stark parable because pretty Jesus is on the throne. Everybody lines up in two lines. And one line is comprised of the people who did feed the hungry and clothe the naked and the rest of it. And the other line is filled with those who did not. And it's a long parable and it's very creative and hard-hitting, but that's the essence of it. And those who looked after the oppressed and fed the hungry and clothed the naked, well, they marched off with to eternity with God. And the others don't. They march off into the judgment of the wicked. So, you know, if all we had in the way of theology was that parable, we would naturally conclude that our salvation rests only on what we do. Of course, it isn't all we have. We have much more, so we under... <clears throat> but don't let that diminish God's call to be people who share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter, who clothes the naked, <clears throat> and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. This, this is simply who the people are called to be. It is who they have been called to be. It's spelled out in a great deal of detail in the Law of Moses. When they're even said things like, okay, when you harvest your fields, don't take everything. Just harvest it and be messy about it. Let, let some of the stuff fall and just stay there so that the poor can come along and pick it up and eat it. In lots and ways, big and small, God's people are supposed to be the ones who look after everyone. It doesn't mean that everybody is treated exactly the same. But everybody is atten attentive to, to the right relations among them, which is what, which is what justice is. Verse 8, God says, okay, then if you shared your food with the hungry and so on, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and Yahweh will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. So there's the solution to the problem, right? The solution to the problem of our young worshiper that I started with today, who's wearing the t-shirts and, and the bumper stickers and all this kind of stuff and is completely focused on themselves and their relationship with God. No, that's not God's way even humbling themselves 
alone is that's that's not God's way. God's way is about others. Two commandments, the greatest commandments are what? We come back to these in virtually every lesson I teach because, well, why is that? Because they crop up in every lesson I teach. They're the underpinnings of the whole thing. Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, <clears throat> the vertical on the cross, the horizontal on the cross. God, the vertical, and others, the horizontal. And um, it's something that if we don't get it right, we miss the essence of, of the life God has called us to as Christians. I realize this is Isaiah written like 2,500 years ago, but I've told you before, Jesus isn't, he isn't inventive in the sense of creating uh, a view of life that nobody ever heard of before. That's not what Jesus does. He calls people to the life that God had called the Israelites to at, the, at Mount Sinai 1,500 years before Jesus. They had just lost sight of it. And of course what Jesus does is provide a means for us, as Arthur was talking about in his sermon yesterday, a means for us to overcome our failures. But you can't simply, I find sometimes that we can be prone to saying, well, you know, I'm just a mess and I'm just going to throw myself on Jesus. And it's as if to relieve themselves of any responsibility to try to do something for others. Maybe something that makes them makes us uncomfortable in trying to help somebody or help others or do something kind or 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 listen or listen to somebody and Sometimes listening is all it takes. I can remember when we, this was a few weeks ago, we were in Branson, Missouri. Uh, that's where we went. I have stories to tell, but we, yes, we went to Branson. So we went to, what is that name of that southern cooking place? with the, Paula Deans. Paula Deans. We went to Paula Deans to get some fried chicken and some other Paula Deans home cooking down at Branson Landing, which is a brand new part of Branson. So, um, you know, we, we got to talking with the waitress, and Patty is really good. People are, people are anxious to talk to Patty. They just kind of talk to her. It's just part of her way. And so this, this waitress just kind of unburdened herself. She kind of set her stuff down, and she told Patty about her life and her son, who was um, a meth addict. Meth addict. And it was very touching and it was clear it meant a lot to the lady to one to be able to tell her story even if briefly um, but also to know that we would actually pray for her and we did there on the spot and subsequently and and just those things in life they they make a difference with people people Almost everybody I meet likes being prayed for. 
I don't know what their relationship with God is. I don't, I don't want to say I don't care, but I, I don't know. I, people like being prayed for. I don't know. I don't think they're all Christian. But there's something in us, you see. There's something in us that responds to God and searches for God. And so we can't be surprised then that people are comforted when they're told by a caring person, and it's not a throwaway line, you know, people do throw away things like, phrases like, oh, my thoughts and prayers. That can be a throwaway line, but coming from Patty, you know it never is. Oh. Yeah. And, 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 and it's a help. And God says, that's what worship is, you see? It's about others. It's not just about yourself. And it's not about the ritual. Verse 9, then you will call and Yahweh will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. It's a two-way street. It's a genuine... God wants a genuine relationship with his people. And that's a two-way relationship. It can't be one way. It can't just be about what we want from God. We can't just come to God constantly with a, give me this, give me this, give me this, I want to do this, 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 this. If, if, if that's where your prayer life is stuck, unstick it. Because it needs to be a two-way street. You know? Yeah, God, here are some people that I'm lifting up to you. It's, you're not telling God something God doesn't know, but those prayers bind you to those people and together to God. So that's where God's taking this whole passage. With his, with these ancient, with these ancient Jews who are going to begin streaming back from from Persia. So in the second part of verse nine, God says, "If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves." in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. So, I am a hundred percent Protestant. It's just, it's just, I am. And I think what Protestants have to guard against is reading these verses and then instantly going to, oh, do you mean I have to do all this to be saved? Okay, how can I be saved is one of the questions. The fourth question in that little list is, what is the essence of Christian living? Well, it's this. Let's look at Jesus' parables. The parable of the sheep and the goats, the parable of Lazarus, you know, the, (laughs) the old guy who is, so bad off his sores are being licked by dogs and utterly ignored by the rich man whose gate Lazarus lies in front of every day. Right? Verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Water stuff always works really well with the Israelites because they live in a pretty dry place. 
Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Okay? So, this, this path to become the people they were created to be and living with God as they profess to desire to is built upon their actually loving others and caring for others and pursuing justice and feeding people who are hungry and trying to lift the yoke, the weight, the burden of life off people who are oppressed. Um, okay. So, Patty, any thoughts, questions? No. No. Just. Could you possibly lower it one degree on the I thermostat? Sure <laughs> you have stunned, you have stunned your listeners. <laughs> it's very quiet. Okay. So now God is going to return to the topic of the Sabbath. We've talked about in the preceding couple chapters ago, which is like more than a month ago, <laughs> uh, God talked about the Sabbath. So here, God is going to return to the Sabbath. And some people see this section as being somehow like an insertion here or something. Like it's a little bit out of place. But I don't think so. I think this talk about the Sabbath is a perfect follow-on to... Um, to what we've been talking about. And and it is certainly something that I need to hear. I need to hear it. I think we probably all do, trying to be Jesus' people in the world of 2022 America. Okay? Verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, See how the focus is again on the person doing as you please. If you call the Sabbath a delight and Yahweh's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, these I guess would be useless words, then you will find your joy in Yahweh. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. So, <clears throat> when you go through the Old Testament, the Sabbath is, God returns to the Sabbath quite often. Um, the Sabbath law, the, the, which is really at the beginning of understanding the people's relationship with God, that there is to be this one day a week that is different from the other days. And it is to be a day of rest, for God rested on the seventh day. And it is to be a day of reflection. And if we turn it into a day like any other day of the week, then we are the ones who miss out. And we're the ones who miss out. And, you know, we could we could talk about what that means and and 
We live in a world in which all kinds of stuff happened on Sundays, and I get all that. I grew up in a world in which not a lot happened on Sunday because everything was closed. I grew up in the Deep South, and, you know, when it came to Sunday, there wasn't, there wasn't, you know, you weren't going to go shopping and stuff on Sunday because everything, everything was closed up on Sundays. Well, that, that's all changed. And, and I, I think it's an easy thing to become legalistic about. On the one hand, easy to become legalistic about it, which is not good. On the other hand, <laughs> it's an easy thing to ignore. So, somehow, we should not get legalistic about it because that's probably just all these previous verses were about not getting caught up in the ritual. But at the same time, we have to find a way to keep Sabbath. Maybe it's just part of a day for us. Maybe we find a part of a day. It doesn't have to be Sunday. A part of a day that we just in which things are just different and they're quieter and we sort of try to tune a lot of the busyness of the world out. We put our phones on airplane hold. Oh, what do you have to do to keep to, to, to keep things quiet? Uh, maybe you read scripture. Maybe you read fine literature. Maybe you listen to great music. Maybe you... Some, I don't know. <laughs> Y'all are smart about all this as I am. But somehow, not it's not to be legalistic and it's not to be ignored. So, if any of you have tips for us all, just, just share them. Glad to hear them. Anxious to hear them. Well, for most of us, just <clears throat> getting up and getting dressed up a bit to go to church and to worship and then to spend... Probably a number of the people that are with us today spend the next hour either before or after church and Bible study. So there's a big chunk of their day, our day, that's already different. Right, that's Sunday. true. You know, no, it's not, it's Cowboys, Mona says. No, no, you could still watch the Cowboys. I you know, it's, it's, and when, you, when you're on, I know, I guess, you know, of course, when you're on the church staff, Right when you're actually when Sunday's kind of a work day in in some ways, that also makes it this whole thing. This whole thing challenging. So, anyway, like I said, what I hear from this is a whole section of verses one to fourteen. Don't be legalistic, ritualistic about Sabbath or anything else, but don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. So. Okay. Chapter 59. Sadly, I think what's also happened is um, there are many people who do work six days a week. And, you know, Sunday is often a time too that they do want to just spend time with their family or their kids or participate which is good family and kids are family good because of there's not much time during the week anymore to do those kind of things it just isn't i guess maybe if we made sure if this is what i did for much of my life what i did not do was make sure that god was a part of my life every day 
Yes. I would go to church Sunday morning. I would go to choir practice Wednesday night. But otherwise, I never thought too much about God, if at all. So maybe if we thought of, if we made God a part of our life every day, and there's simple there's simple ways to do that. You say grace for every every meal, whether you're at home, out, wherever, business, non-business. You say you say grace. You have a prayer time every day somehow somewhere. If you do those things, maybe the whole Sabbath thing just becomes more natural. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. <clears throat> All right. Chapter 59. <clears throat> so, surely, surely, the arm of Yahweh is not too short to save. Picture yourself, you're drowning in the water. Yeah, you're like Peter, who steps out of the boat, looks around, realizes what he's doing, and then drops like a rock. Surely, Jesus will say, we'll reach down and grab him. Surely God's arm is not too short to save us, nor his ear too dull to hear. In the Hebrew, it is, nor is his ear too heavy to hear, right? Too dull to hear. So God can do it. God is the Savior. God can hear. God can save. He's got a long arm, anxious to save, of course. Verse 2, but your iniquities. Iniquities. Iniquities is a word that means your, your wicked acts. Your, um, your unjust acts. Your evil acts. Your iniquities, your sins. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And then to repeat the idea, because remember that's how Hebrew poetry works. It repeats not the sound, but the idea. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The relationship is to be genuine. It's to be genuine. And, and, and God expects our participation in this relationship. It's a two-way street. God cannot abide sin. Sin is not acceptable in God's presence. Verse 3, For your hands are stained with blood, and your fingers, well, they're stained with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely. Your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble. They give birth to evil. This is a... Um, this is a picture of what? Societal collapse. These people know better. They've been given the law of Moses. And they've had lots of prophets come to help them understand what it means. They know what Micah said about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. They know all that. They've been given all of that time and time again. Yet their society 
is on the verge of collapse just because they will not hear God and will not live in God's ways and nobody calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble. They give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die. And when one is broken in adder, that's a snake is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They can't cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. And acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned these paths, them, the paths, into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. So, wow. You know, I see videos and other things coming out of a lot of our cities and stuff. That's, whew, all of that is coming to mind as we read through this because... <clears throat> there are laws and norms that hold a society together. And when those laws and norms are weakened and weakened and weakened, then things begin to fall apart. And people begin to not consider the consequences of what they do. So they will just go in and ransack a store because they know that nothing's going to happen to them. So... This is not a new problem. <laughs> it's a problem of sin, which is, of course, in every human heart. And it's why we have laws and norms that w and police to keep ourselves in check. If we didn't, if we all had pure hearts, if we were right, we wouldn't need police. If everybody just did, knew what was right and did what was right, we wouldn't need police or armies or any of it. But of course, we don't do what is right. And it was true in the angel world and it's true in the medieval world and it's true in our world today and will be true until Jesus comes back. The way, Verse 8, the way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads, no one who walks along them will know peace. <clears throat> so justice is far from us, the prophet says. And righteousness doesn't reach us. We're just like, we're, we're just what, like the, okay, we look for light, but all is darkness. We're, what's, the image that came to mind was was being so far from the car behind me that the car's headlights can't reach me in the dark. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Um, I, the street lights are all so dim, they can't light anything up anymore. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, 
feeling our way like people without eyes. Gosh, some of this writing is pretty amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Because the people are living in darkness. They're ignoring the light. Who is the light in the end? Who is the light? Jesus. Jesus is the light. We're to be the light of the world. God's people are to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be the light on the, on the, on the hill, right? Yeah. Not hidden under a basket, but on a hill so that the whole world can see it. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none. For deliverance, but it is far away. So let I brought one slide just to remind us what the meaning of justice is. There's the upcoming schedule again. Okay. So don't forget, no class the next two weeks. Next Monday's Labor Day. The next Monday we will be Patty and I will be returning from her reunion, and then we'll be back together for a while. Okay. Justice is simply the habit of acting in a manner that nourishes right relations with others. See, justice is the living out of loving others. We need to live in right relations with others. Which doesn't mean you can't exploit people, you can't oppress people, you can't, to use plainer words, you can't be mean to people or take advantage of people. Those aren't good relationships. You don't want to be on the, on the receiving end of any of that kind of stuff. But here in verse 11 of chapter 59, we look for justice but find none. For We look for deliverance, but it's far away. It's sort of like they have run as far away from God as they can get. That's what the prophet is warning them about. That's how you ended up in exile. You've reaped the consequences, the choices you've made. It isn't. It isn't an accident. It isn't. It isn't unforeseeable. The prophet would say, "It is foreseeable, based upon how you have lived." For the prophet then says in verse 12, For our offenses our offenses are many in your sight, God's sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us. And we acknowledge our iniquities, which can only be a good thing. You know, so our sins are with us. We know they're with us. We acknowledge our iniquities. But acknowledgement of one's sin is only the first step. You see that word repentance, again, let me just do a teaching moment on that. The word repentance means a 180 degree, degree turn. It is like, okay, you're on the highway from here to Denton, and you realize that's the wrong way and you need to be headed toward Dallas. And so you exit the highway, you take a Texas U-turn, you get back on the highway and you are now 
in a 180 degree new direction. It isn't simply knowing that you are headed the wrong way. Acknowledgement is not, acknowledgement is a start. I mean, you're not gonna get anywhere, I guess, unless you realize you're headed toward the wrong place. But you, you've, you've got to get off and get headed in the right direction. 180 degree turn. So just when you come upon the word repentance, always put that 180 degree turn with the word and, and you'll, you'll understand better what you're reading in the Bible. A more true or biblical way of understanding it. So, our offenses are ever with us, the prophet says. We acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against Yahweh, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. We know this about ourselves, the prophet says. And what's the consequence of what we know we're doing? Justice is driven back. And righteousness stands at a distance. It's just like justice and righteousness. And we just keep driving it further and further away with the choices that we as a people are making. Truth has stumbled in the streets. And honesty cannot enter. So this is all pretty contemporary. Do you not think so, Patty? I think it is so contemporary. It's kind of kind of eerie, actually. You know? Yes, I think it is. I was reading, uh, there was a long uh, interview in the Wall Street Journal um, a couple weeks ago with, of course, it was an older fellow talking about the need for the recovery of virtues and political virtue in America, that we have been making political choices the wrong way for a long time, and it's showing. And we need to, we need, we need to return to looking for virtuous people to, to enter politics and guide our society and so forth. Um, and people who are wise and understand <clears throat> what are the right things in the classic sense. So, verse 14, justice is driven back, righteousness stands at a distance, truth is stumbled in the streets, honesty cannot enter, truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Got that last one? Whoever shuns evil, whoever turns their back on evil becomes prey for the hunters. The Lord looked, Yahweh looked, and was displeased that there was no justice. Back to Micah. Three things. Do justice. It, that's a funny word construction, isn't it? We don't think of justice that way. Do justice. You could, you could change it into do what is just, but I like the two-word way. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. 
Of course God is interested in justice. How could God not be interested in justice? There you go. It's the habit of acting in a manner that nourishes right relations with others. That's what love is. Doesn't mean all the relations are the same. <laughs> I'm not gonna live in the same relationship with my wife as I do with my brother. That would be scary. <laughs> but there's a rightness there's a right relationship with my wife there's a right relationship with my brother there's a right relationship with all of you and that's what I need to do habitually that's, see that word back here justice is simply the habit that's what I like uh, with Madison's definition here the habit it needs to be a habit our habits are habits innate? No. Habits have to be learned. Remember, I, I think I'm, people used to tell me, well, I'll do something for 21 days, every day for 21 days, then it'll become a habit. Well, habits have to be learned. We have to, we have to train ourselves to, to habitually seek justice, to habitually be kind, to habitually respond to people by recognizing that Jesus loves the person that I despise the most. That should always bring you up short, shouldn't it? Bring me up short, for certainly. Whoever I think is the most beyond the pale, Jesus loves that person. Jesus died for that person. Not just the people I care about, but the people who it seems scandalous that Jesus would love them or that Jesus would die for them. Well, he does, and he did. Scott, can you put up that slide again for Lynn? Sure. For a minute? There we go. It, you know, this slide is inter it's interesting, Lynn, because it comes from, this comes from a textbook on the virtues by a Roman Catholic theologian. So this comes from a book that is meant to be a textbook, like in a Roman Catholic university, on the virtues, the classical virtues, Aristotle's virtues, the four, and then the, um, uh, the spiritual virtues of, of faith, hope, and love. And um, Madison wrote this textbook on them, and I thought he had used some, several really good, really good, good phrases in it. And so notice, I'll make one more pitch, notice how he doesn't have to say social justice. Social justice is redundant. All justice, <laughs> it's okay, Patty, let it go. It's just Patty's getting reminded about something. All justice is social. There's no such thing as individualized justice. It's all social, it all has completely everything to do with our relationships with others. It might be on a personal basis, might be on a systemic basis about our institutions, but it's always about others. It's always social. So, okay. And the Roman Catholics are actually one, I guess reflecting their history and their theology and, and so forth and the great theologians who have been part of the Catholic Church I'm so sorry. That's okay. It's okay, Patty. Um, the Catholics are really... Sorry. Don't disconnect her again, baby. Okay. So the, the Roman Catholics are uh, do more thinking about the virtues.
I think, than, than Protestants tend to. Because if you tell a Protestant, well, you know, these virtues, they begin with the four, they come from Aristotle, then their eyes start to roll back in their head because it's like not in the Bible. But it is in the Bible, it's throughout the Bible to be people of courage and wisdom and temperance and prudence and the rest of it. Yes, Patty? All I was going to say is that, <clears throat> of course, this, you know, this is ancient writings, so this problem goes back to probably since the dawn of mankind, right? What I find personally um, is that in the last few years, and I think particularly to me it's more stark since COVID, is that we have zero tolerance for others if we do not share the same opinion zero tolerance and if you it doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on if you speak against somebody else's idea or what you are because we put them in a different tribe than our tribe okay. and that tribe has nothing good to coming out coming out of. we decide before they say anything if they're part of the wrong tribe they don't have anything to offer, and it's a it's a sad state. It, it's it's not a good way to be. And the good thing is, I find that on a personal level with people, it tends to be much less that way. It tends to be that way politically and sort of socially at a higher level, and 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 there are people who make a lot of money over off of dividing us up. But I certainly have many many dear friends who you know not gonna they're not gonna vote like I do. But oh, that's okay. Right, right. I don't, you know, that but was not Maybe mean. that has something to do with because the people that you're talking about, as, as we are blessed to have, most of our friends are from St. Andrew. Well, <laughs> probably tend true. to be more tolerant. It doesn't matter what their political ideas are. I, I they guess are so. tending to be more tolerant to at least listen to somebody else out. Mm -hmm. And here, they still may not agree with it and probably won't, but... There is that They still know I'm Scott and they know you're Patty and the rest of it, right? Respect that, yes, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, as right. Arthur said again yesterday. It doesn't matter. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. But, boy, the rest of the world, it's, it's really, really tough. And it's fed by a lot of people who make money off it. So, verse 15, part B. Yahweh looked and was displeased. <laughs> that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm, this is God's strength, right, achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. And here, you know Paul had this in mind when he wrote the end of Ephesians. He put on righteousness as his breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay. Wrath to his enemies, retribution to his foes, he will repay the islands. Remember the islands in Isaiah as a way of speaking to the far-flung world. The far-flung world. He will repay the far-flung world their due. From the West, people will fear the name of the Lord. They will acknowledge that God is God and they are not. And from the rising of the sun, that would be in the East, they will revere his glory. 
for he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. It matters to God. It is important to God. And if God must do it himself, this pursuit of justice, then God will do it. And of course, as a Christian, when you read this, <clears throat> you know that, that, that the Messiah was to be was to be this person in the flesh. The Messiah was to be this person in the flesh who would who would kick out the the pagan oppressors, who would who would kick out the 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 crooked temple priests. Um, and that's why, you know, there's there's a war to be fought in favor of justice and righteousness, of doing the right thing and on behalf of the poor and the oppressed and the broken, a war against the wicked and the oppressors. And that is a war that God is ready to take on. And that imagery is used throughout Scripture all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation, right? In Revelation 19, who comes riding on the white horse leading the armies of angels to take on the forces of evil and destruction. It's Jesus himself. This is that whole thing like Paul with putting on the armor of God. Yeah. With the breastplate yeah. and the helmet. See, that's, a, that's the end of Ephesians. Yes. The end of Ephesians has this whole imagery. Okay, this is what we have to do. And so God puts it on. We put it on. Jesus is the warrior. There is... You, what you can't do is fall into the impression that none of this, it doesn't matter that much to God that righteousness be done. It doesn't matter that much to God that justice be done. It's everything. It's everything. And you only have to put yourself in the place of the person who's receiving the injustice, in the place of the person who is being the oppressed the person whose blood is being shed by the by by the oppressor to understand why this imagery is being used because god is going to god is going to god is going to undertake this fight if his people don't and he does but he, see what god does god does it in a completely unexpected way god's victory over sin and death and wickedness and injustice doesn't happen at the end of a sword. It happens on a cross. That's the completely unexpected twist to the whole thing. That's the moment in the movie that nobody could have foreseen. That actually God's victory here would be won by Jesus' faithfulness all the way to death, even death on the cross. That nobody did foresee. Nicodemus didn't foresee it. Nobody understood. Nobody understood. It was, And nobody would have understood what was happening if Jesus had not been resurrected. It's only the resurrection that enabled people to understand and begin to put together, with the Spirit's help, what happened. So, verse 20. This is almost like a little postlude here. 
the Redeemer will come to Zion, to Jerusalem, to those in Jacob, uh, the family of Abraham, who repent of their sins, declares Yahweh. And then verse 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says Yahweh. So this, when you have a paragraph or a verse that begins in that way, you know it's one that needs to be circled, right? Because this is God speaking. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says Yahweh. My spirit, who is on you, Holy Spirit, yes, my spirit, who is on you, will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says Yahweh. God is committed. This is not new news. God is committed to going forward with these people. He chose them. This is going to happen through them. I don't even think any of this is a surprise. Because Patty said, well, you know, this kind of goes back to the beginning. Well, it does. Think in the biblical sense, what's the beginning? This, this darkness and this rebellion. Where does it go back? What's the first instance of it in the Bible? The fall, the tr eating the fruit. Genesis 3, right there. That's why the story becomes so, so fundamental to the Christians. Because for the Christians see in the Genesis 3 story the essence of this problem that plays out through all the rest of the Old Testament and seems to be unsolvable. Because the people just can't ever get it right. They just can't ever get it right. And then you come to Jesus, who is God incarnate, and is the solution to this unsolvable problem in a way that nobody, nobody, but nobody could ever have foreseen. Despite the fact, I know Jesus says to Nicodemus, well, if you knew your scriptures, you would understand this. I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway, that's it. So when we come together in, oh my gosh, on August, no, not August. on August, September something or other, two week, three weeks from today, because we're off next week for Labor Day. Then we're off the next week because Patty and I are flying home from Staten Island, and I do hope to bring you good stories from the reunion. So three weeks, we will be back in business. Now, my Tuesday class will meet all those weeks. So if you want to you know, check in on the Tuesday class at noon in 1 Corinthians, we'll be talking about some interesting stuff or... You want to pop in down Imperial Hall on Tuesdays, that would be great. Because the Tuesday class will be able to meet, meet next week and, and the week after because we come back from Staten Island yes, on the Monday. we do. So, we do. there we go. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Whew. There we are. I'm going to have to fix it, though. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's Patty. There I am. <laughs> <laughs> What's she saying? Fix it. I can't remember what that means. I can't remember work any of this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm excited about the reunion. Again, this is not a high school reunion. This is my eighth grade reunion because I went to parochial school 
from first to eighth grade with most of the same people starting in first grade together when we were six years old and all which the person way are you most looking forward to seeing oh that's not fair there's that's a not bunch. fair there's a bunch, yeah, a bunch okay of, i want to ask that's not a good question that um you know that i just can't wait to see we're friends on facebook Do you think any teachers will be there i doubt it any of the nuns they would be really really old now like 110. Yes. <laughs> of course, when we went there, we thought they were already yeah, 110. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, so um, I'm excited about this. And it's the first time I am going back to Staten Island in 41 years. Wow. Yep. And you know what? I, this is the last thing. You know who I, what I learned the other day? What's that? Patricia Heaton, the wife on Everybody Loves Raymond. What's her name? Yes, that's her. That's yeah. who she is. That, that's the actress. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Her sister's a nun. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Yes. There we go. Kind of. It's a little, little bit interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. It, I knew that she, um, she has spoken out publicly yeah. about her Christian faith a lot. Yes. In, in the past. So that does not, that does not surprise me. But um, I don't think there'll be anybody with rulers measuring how you know short anybody's skirts are or anything like that, because. None of us should have on a skirt. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but you can do it. No, no. So anyway, um, it's good to be back, guys. And um, hopefully we'll see a lot of you on Sunday and maybe some of you tomorrow in person or back online for the other, the other class, the Corinthians class. If you would close with me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, God, so much for this day. We thank you, God, that once again this group is brought back together. Lord, and we're grateful for that. We are so grateful, Lord, for how many people remembered and, and showed up today to study the Bible together. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over each of us, God, and not only us, our families, our friends, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would all feel your presence, God, in our lives. And um, if we don't, as God has reminded me often, that it just means that we have stepped away a little bit from you and we need to refocus ourselves. Lord, I just pray that you would watch over us, keep us healthy and safe. Lord, and we pray for your wisdom and your discernment so that we will make the kind of decisions, the kind of choices every day, God, that would be, that would be things that you would be proud of that more Jesus-like, more Christ-like every day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. Bye, everybody. Adios. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care.